It's Monday, March 30th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. With the most number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in the world here in the U.S., new hotspots are emerging. While mostly concentrated on the coast, more cases are creeping into other cities. The CDC has issued a domestic travel advisory urging residents of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut not to travel for 14 days. In other news, GM and Ford are working to make more ventilators, and new polls show Joe Biden and Trump in a competitive race for 2020. Julia Manchester, political reporter for The Hill, joins us for more. Next, fearing a surge of coronavirus cases that could tear through prisons and jails, counties and states are releasing thousands of inmates. Health and corrections officials have issued warnings about cramped and unsanitary conditions that could spread the virus and put inmates, corrections officers, and prison healthcare workers at risk. Kimberly Kindy, national investigative reporter at The Washington Post, tells us who's getting out of jail. Finally, as travel is restricted across much of the world, there are a ton of cheap airfare deals. While you shouldn't fly during a pandemic, you might want to consider booking a short getaway later in the year once things calm down. Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to consider before snagging a travel bargain. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Restrict travel because they're having problems down in Florida. A lot of New Yorkers going down. We don't want that. Uh, heavily infected. We're having a, a really uh, good dialogue with Governor Cuomo. We've supplied him with a lot of things. We're giving him an extra four medical centers, tents. Joining us now is Julia Manchester, political reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thank you for having me. We're continuing our conversation about coronavirus and its spread throughout the United States. We've been seeing a lot of hotspots on the coast, most notably New York. I know they're kind of the epicenter of this right now, but on the West Coast and the East Coast, you know, there's high numbers. And as the need grows for more protective equipment for medical workers and ventilators, things that we need to treat patients, the spread of the virus is starting to get down into middle America now. There's new hotspots that are people are talking about. Absolutely. You're seeing the virus really, we don't really know if it's necessarily moved because remember, this is something that can be very asymptomatic. So you could have it for a long amount of time or a certain period of time and not realize you have it. So what I think is really happening is you're seeing a lot more testing being done, but you're also seeing continuing, you know, some travel between the states as well. I mean, it's not like the entire country has been shut down 100%. So you're seeing that a lot. And actually where I am here in Florida, we're really starting to see the impacts of it. Remember, um, I'm in Central Florida right now, but in South Florida, there are a lot of New York, uh, part-time New York or New Jersey residents going to their winter homes in Florida or going back and forth. And we've seen a lot of hotspots really pop up in South Florida. And a lot of that is attributed to the epicenter of it being really in New York right now. And you've seen uh, Governor Ron DeSantis here. And we've also seen this happening and happening in Rhode Island as well. They've been ordering Uh, people who have traveled from the tri-state area or the New York area to quarantine themselves for two weeks, about 14 days. So that's really been an impact. And you're also seeing it happening in other states as well. Michigan is a huge state that's thought to be a big epicenter as well. Louisiana. Louisiana, I thought, think is very interesting. And I kind of see some comparisons between Louisiana and Italy, because in Louisiana, it was kind of thought that 
this really started because of the Mardi Gras celebrations earlier this month and the large gatherings of people. And that was thought, you know, in Italy, the lo- these large gatherings um, in early March or I guess late February was part of that. Yeah. And those travel restrictions, uh, as you mentioned, you know, kind of leads us into something that happened over the weekend. The president said he was considering quarantine measures for New York, New Jersey and Connecticut, seeing as how it's kind of an epicenter there. Then he backed off of it. I think some of the governors were mad. Andrew Cuomo said it would cause chaos if they actually put on full, complete lockdowns. But after that, shortly after that, the CDC issued travel advisories saying anybody traveling from there needs to quarantine themselves for two weeks. I also wanted to talk about vital equipment that hospitals and states need right now. The president had activated the Defense Production Act, but it wasn't until this past weekend that he actually said that he's directing General Motors to start producing ventilators. And there was some back and forth between them, but it seems that Ford and General Motors are both working with companies right now to help make these medical devices so they can supply them to the states. You saw the president getting praise for that move, even from Democrats. Joe Biden said he congratulated President Trump for finally invoking the order. We are implementing the order. But, you know, a lot of his critics still say this should have been done earlier. He should have been putting more pressure on these companies earlier to produce this equipment. But right now we're going to see them really start to create those ventilators to send out to the states. We know that um, medical equipment is a huge concern across the country and even in urban centers like the New York City area, the Boston area. Michigan, for example. So I think this is definitely good for right now, but I think a lot of people are questioning why this really wasn't done earlier. And you mentioned Joe Biden. I just wanted to bring him up for a moment. It's a weird time to be campaigning for a general election. Almost his campaign has gone completely digital. He's kind of trying to contrast himself with the response to the President Trump to this crisis right now. And there was a new Washington Post ABC poll that has them running pretty close. Joe Biden at 49% and President Trump at 47% among registered voters. The interesting in that is that Trump is more trusted to handle the economy and Biden is more trusted to manage healthcare policy, which is also something that we're kind of dealing with right now. What you're seeing right now are their two strengths. You know, remember, President Trump has always touted the fact that there have been stock market gains, at least the macroeconomic level and it is his administration, which there absolutely has been, whereas Joe Biden has really pushed this health care measure. I mean, during the Obama administration, Joe Biden very much was involved in the writing and the passing of the Affordable Care Act. So that's definitely both of their strengths being played out in this. And you're seeing Joe Biden really trying to push this issue of public health and the need to improve public health. He has set up his own public health advisory on the campaign. And to the digital part, his campaign has very much tried to revamp their presence in the digital landscape because it's really the only place they can have a presence at this point, right? So you're seeing them come out with a newsletter, a podcast. This is them really trying to counter-program President Trump, but also really try to keep Vice President Biden in the public eye. And they're really pushing his executive experience as vice president, his experience as a leader dealing with crisis. He often talks about what he did to uh, in the Obama administration to combat the Ebola epidemic in 2014 and the swine flu in 2009, maybe parts of 2010. So they're definitely pushing that. However, it's difficult because you see the 
the networks airing President Trump's press conferences with people like Dr. Fauci, Dr. Deborah Birx, who are very popular with the public right now. They are seen as very trusted public figures. And I think that definitely helps the Trump campaign to have those people by his side. Julia Manchester, political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All the low-hanging fruit, we've already picked it. What we're going to make sure is no violent, serious uh, inmate who's uh, in, in there for a, a serious crime that represents a, th- a threat to the community. They will not be released under any circumstances. Joining us now is Kimberly Kindy, national investigative reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Amid fears that the coronavirus could spread through prisons and jails, there's a lot of counties and states that are releasing thousands of inmates. It's happening in California, although they've reported no cases, especially when you look at Los Angeles County. They've reduced their inmate population by 6% in the last three weeks. Other states, obviously, New Jersey, New York, everybody's looking into this. They just don't want an outbreak to happen for fear that the prisoners can get the coronavirus themselves, and then also the correctional officers and the medical staff that work inside those prisons also could contract this. Kimberly, tell us a little bit more about it. It's really interesting because with this movement, and I I guess I would say it's a movement, we're seeing people who have all kinds of perspectives, conservative people, progressive people, defense attorneys, and public defenders who aren't necessarily always on on the same side. And they're actually coming together in some areas in a very swift way to try to identify the people who they think they can safely release so they can create some space in the jails and the prisons so that they can have a place where they can isolate an inmate if they become ill. Or if somebody gets exposed, they have a place there to quarantine inmates until they're sure. And then also to create social distancing within the prisons. We're being told to stay six feet apart. They need space within the prison so they can create that within the prisons so that they can also remain safe. And as you pointed out, so that not only inmates remain safe, but everybody who works in the prisons remains safe in the jails. Talk a little bit about who would be eligible for this. You know, in the county jails, a lot of them, they're looking at somebody in prison or in jail just because they couldn't make bail. There are a lot of people who just if they could make bail, they would be out. They're looking at people like that. They're looking at folks who are definitely low-risk offenders, nonviolent offenders. So if you have somebody who, for instance, is 80 years old and they are a nonviolent offender, maybe they're a white-collar criminal, and they're looking at trying to get them released back into society. There's also the term being thrown around compassionate release. So this would be also for elderly inmates and inmates that have underlying medical conditions. There's a big push within the federal system to expand pre-existing programs. There's a pilot program for the elderly that they can apply for. It hasn't been fully utilized. There are advocates who are pushing for them to expand that. Yes, that's people who it used to be 65 or older with the 2018 First Step Act, which was a criminal reform effort legislation, that it went from 65 to 60. And so... People who are eligible are 60 and over now. Now, there's a number of criteria that they have to fall into, nonviolent people. They can't be people who just arrived. And then there's also the Compassionate Release Program, which you just mentioned. That's for people who, 
generally speaking, we're talking about people who are gravely ill. I interviewed a guy, a 70-year-old former doctor in prison because of Medicare fraud, and he has a slew of health conditions that make him particularly vulnerable to this virus. Diabetes, all kinds of heart problems. His wife has Alzheimer's, so he's also trying to get out to take care of her. This is the kind of person who they're trying to get home into home confinement. This is also changing policing and also how prosecutors attack stuff. As one district attorney put it, we're not putting low-level punks in jail. How do police officers and even the correctional officers, I guess, how do they all feel about this approach? It's a mixed bag. I certainly have interviewed officers who feel like they did the crime, they need to do the time, they still have that position. And so you do not have a universal acceptance of this. But I think that most of the people who are trying to manage the jail population and keep it safe, they are trying to change the thought process on this and are trying to convince the law and order types that these are extraordinary times, that if you have somebody who has a warrant out for a number of traffic tickets, this isn't the time to throw them in jail. And yes, there's some conflict and there's certainly some people who are pushing back, but there is an indisputable movement towards trying to find a solution to finding the right people to release early so that the jail population does not become the next cruise ship. Kimberly Kendi, national investigative reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Kind of how far do you want to be away from home? Should there be a new flare up and things like that? So I don't think it's worth taking the gamble right now on international trips. But I think on some of these really ultra cheap domestic tickets, if you're comfortable with it, it's a good thing to try. Joining us now is Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Sure. Good to be with you. We always bring you on, Scott, to talk about what's going on in the airline industry. And right now, amid this time of coronavirus and, and all that's going on with the social distancing, I know that the airline industry is taking a big hit. But for us at home, consumers staying home, going on and checking some of these things, because everybody's always kind of planning ahead for the future. We're seeing some very, very cheap airfare coming up right now. But there's a big question amid kind of this uncertainty. We don't know how long this is all going to last. So should you book something if you find a really good deal. Scott, help us out with that. What's interesting is that a lot of these really great deals extend into the fall and even next year. Airlines have pretty well excluded holiday periods. In all the searching I did, you're not going to find ultra cheap tickets for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but you can much of the rest of the year. And so I would say with domestic trips, for a lot of people, it may be worth the gamble. I mean, it is a gamble. But if you can find a $71 fare for a trip in September or October, those are unbelievable prices. And you really don't have a whole lot tied up. So the gamble is you may not get to go on the trip, right, if things are still in flux. And it's kind of like, so what? If you buy the tickets now, airlines have waivers in place. So you can just use that as a credit. But if you do get to go on the $71 round trip ticket, score, you win. Yeah, totally. uh, I think it's a different proposition for international travel. A lot more complexity there with countries shutting down borders to visitors and really kind of how far do you want to be away from home? Should there be a new flare up and 
things like that. So I don't think it's worth taking the gamble right now on international trips. But I think on some of these really ultra cheap domestic tickets, if you're comfortable with it, it's a good thing to try. So what kind of time period are we looking at to maximize our chances of being safe with this? There are several different parameters to this. Airlines have put out waivers for buying tickets through the end of March. Uh, American just extended theirs today to April 15th. I think those will continue to go out. We just saw the Olympics postponed, and that was July. I think June is very much in doubt. That's a real gamble. But if things do start turning around in April, it could be. But I would be really careful about June and even July. So I think the smart booking really comes to August, September, October, even November. On the other hand, I think the other thing to consider is that there are going to be cheap prices for a long time to come. And so you don't have to do this now. You can wait. There are going to be bargains to Orlando in late summer, early fall for a while. I think airlines are going to have sales to get people traveling again. There's going to be a lot of reluctance to start traveling again. And so they'll try and sort of prime the pump that way. But also what you have to remember is they're pulling out all kinds of capacity from their schedules. You know, 90% of international flying, we're seeing the potential of even for a temporary period, grounding virtually all domestic flying. So as that capacity comes back into the schedule, it's like new flights to everywhere. There are no bookings for those flights to get the bookings back into those aircraft cabins. They're going to have to offer really deep discounts in order to fill seats. And one of these suggestions that you made in your piece, which I thought was pretty good, is consider multiple short trips. You know, nobody's going to go for this big three-week global adventure, especially with the uncertainty in kind of other countries, you know, you know how they're treating their travel restrictions and whatnot. So maybe some of these shorter trips, weekend getaways, little tiny things that you can handle easily, you can still be close. And if they do get canceled or something, you haven't put so much into it. I think that's right. And even when you're on the trip, you have a ticket home in in a relatively short period of time, right? So go to an island for a couple of days. And if all of a sudden things turn and you got to get home, well, you've got a ticket to get home pretty quickly. And then just turn around and repack and go off to a mountain somewhere or, or something like that. One thing I wanted to ask is travel insurance. What do we make of that during this time right now? Don't make anything of it because it's no good. Almost all standard policies have an exclusion in it for pandemic. Travel insurance companies have very clearly said the danger of coronavirus is known, so they're not covering it. It's the same philosophy that if if your house is on fire, you can't run out and get homeowner's insurance, right? Because you know the house is on fire. So now you know what the danger is, just like if the hurricane is bearing down on the island, you can't run out and get insurance. You got to do it before. So standard insurance offers no coverage in these situations. The only travel insurance you could consider at this point is what's called cancel for any reason. That's more expensive. The coverage of your losses is less. But the reality is that you're really not going to have a whole lot of losses if you're careful about protecting yourselves. Airlines will at worst give you a voucher for the value and in many cases give you a refund. If you make sure that your hotel is refundable, your tour, your whatever you've got packed in there, even expensive safaris or whatever, if you protect yourself that way, you don't need travel insurance. Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Great to be with you, Oscar. (laughs) 
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.